copy of God's Word, if you would take it and turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And just want to say that uh, in all seriousness, I thought the children's message was really good, John. And I also learned, aside from good times aren't meant to last forever, that if a kid tells you there's a yak behind you, there's a chance there's an even scarier bear behind you, and you might not worry with the yak as much as the bear. So that's, that's my takeaway from the children's message also. All right, we are in Matthew chapter 16, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for all of the kids that we anticipate here at Vacation Bible School. Father, I pray that as we meet this morning during this worship service, Lord, I pray that you would transform transform our hearts and lives so that we could be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now that you would feed your people. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 16, but most of you know that uh, if you've been keeping up with your bulletin and our announcements, uh, some of the students and I just got back yesterday from a mission trip. We spent a week in Shelby, North Carolina, and not to make you anticipate too much, one of our students that went on the trip with us, that we took four from our church, one of them is in a state championship softball game today. And so we're going to wait for her to get back, and next week we're going to tell you uh, all about our mission trip. But uh, just something about those two girls that are in the state champion game. They missed their first game of the state tournament to go on the mission trip with us. And so I was really, really pleased with uh, their dedication there. And so we took them a day early uh, to the tournament so that they could play. So they missed the last day of the tournament. When we put the girls in the car and told them goodbye... Um, we sent them off with a prayer and I told the young lady who's not a member of our church, I said, Hey, pitch a no hitter for me and doggone if the girl didn't go pitch a no hitter in the state tournament. Uh, I'm not saying that it was really for me, but it was just coincidence that that's the way it happened. Uh, and so uh, a lot of cool things going on with our students and, um, we'll tell you all about it next week, but this week we're going to be in Matthew 16 and we start with Jesus uh, having another run-in with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, says this. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the sign of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And so you all, hopefully if you've been on the water at night, have heard the saying, red at night, sailors delight, red in the morning, sailors take warning. And Jesus says, listen, you guys know all of these these very simple things. He said, but you're asking for a sign from heaven and no one is going to be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And so can you imagine just for a minute, Jesus has been doing, we didn't give a review this morning, but Jesus has been going on and on and on. He's been healing all the sick people that have been brought to him, all these blind people. He's been casting out demons. He's fed 5,000 people. He's fed 4,000 people. And we said that that was just men. It's really up to 15, 20,000 people. And then these Pharisees and Sadducees come up to him and they say, hey, why don't you just give us a sign and tell us who you really are? And Jesus has got to be like, guys, really, really. And this just goes to show you the spiritual blindness that some people have when things aren't going the way that they want it to go. Because Jesus is not changing everything, but Jesus 
was throwing a wrench into the spiritual system that they had come up with and the spiritual system that they were comfortable with. And so now, in order to figure out if Jesus is really who he says he is, they're asking for a sign specifically for them. And he says, no, I don't play that game. You'll get your sign, and it's the sign of Jonah. And that'll come up a little bit later. But what I want you to see here in the beginning of this chapter is spiritual blindness And just a little spoiler alert, what you're going to see in a few verses is you're going to see a group of people who are very spiritually awake. And you'll see the difference between these two groups. Verse 5. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this amongst themselves, saying, he said that because we didn't bring any bread. So can you imagine Jesus at this point? Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're like, oh yeah, he's saying that because we forgot bread. You can just kind of imagine Jesus shaking his head. And he goes and it says, verse 8, But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not know, excuse me, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up or the seven loaves of 4,000 and how many large basket full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Verse 12, they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so I actually learned something about leaven. Leaven is not actually yeast. Uh, from what I've read this week, that you have uh, leaven and then you have yeast. And what these people would do in order to get leaven is as they're baking bread, they would pinch off a piece of the dough that had risen and they would save it. Much like when you cook, I just forgot, what's the name of that bread that you have a starter batch? Isn't it sourdough bread that somebody gives you? Friendship bread, whatever it's really called, friendship bread. Somebody gives you a starter and you don't put any yeast in it. Everybody just pinches a little piece off and you make whole new batches of bread from one starter. And some of you who do this friendship bread, you have starter mixes that probably people gave you 50, 60, even up to 70 years ago, because it seems the only way to do friendship bread is to get some from somebody else. They say, I I feel like there's got to be a way to make it originally, but that's what they say. So that's what we'll go with anyways. But this is what's going on here. He says, beware of the leaven of these guys. A little bit of these guys can fester up and make an absolute mess. And so you be careful of these Pharisees and Sadducees and you get to see the spiritual blindness of them. Listen, people that are spiritually blind are dangerous people. People that are spiritually blind within a religious organization are incredibly dangerous people. Now, I don't have anything mined in our church, but I can tell you that in a lot of churches, if you leave the kitchen dirty, that gets you into a lot more trouble than teaching heresy in Sunday school. Because you have spiritually blind people in many instances. Now, which is more important that we always clean the... Don't answer this out loud, please. Which one would you say is more important for a church? That we keep the kitchen spotless or that we teach good doctrine in Sunday school? Just something for you to think about. Now, you go on and you have a group of people who are spiritually alive. Verse Chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still 
others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And so Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Pop quiz. And so they say, well, we just give what we've heard. Some say John the Baptist. Now, if you remember, Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead because he was afraid of John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, if you will accept it, John the Baptist was Elijah who was to come. So John the Baptist is the forerunner. But the people who are spiritually blind are still looking for Elijah to come before the Christ. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're going, okay, you are the one before the one who's to come. And so look at the foolishness of this statement. So we're going to kill you and then the other guy will show up and he's going to say stuff better than you. So how much sense does it make to kill the front runner? And then you're going to think that you're going to accept the other guy. So some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so they're thinking that he could have been one of the prophets. And this would be a very interesting study for you to do. Why do they pick Jeremiah? Jeremiah lives his whole life and doesn't have any known converts to the gospel. Jeremiah and his buddy Baruch, who's his scribe, they go throughout their whole lives and nobody ever repents because of their teaching. Jeremiah is also known as the weeping prophet. And so there's a really interesting study here as to why they would pick Jeremiah out of all those people to put Jesus on. Now it says, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus wants to know who the disciples say that he is. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so he says in verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. So you're the sent one. You're the anointed one. You're everything wrapped up in the Messiah that we have been looking for. Now he goes on and he says, blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And so if you want a lot more on this passage, hopefully you remember the very first day that I showed up to preach as the pastor here. This is the passage that we preached out of. Because, uh, and if, if you want a more on this, you can go back to that first sermon and listen to it again. But he says, you are Peter in 18. The word Petros means little rock, little pebble, something like that. And then the word, let me go to it, and upon this rock... The word rock, four words after Peter, means bedrock or mountaintop or large stone. And so what he's saying in the original language is that you're Peter, you're a little rock. And this bedrock that you just said, that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. And I tried to find for you some pictures that uh, that I took when my wife and I went to Israel. There's this giant mountain. Uh, it's this beautiful place that you walk up to. And the mountain is, is just one giant stone. And they say in Israel, and I, it, it, this seems to fit. There's a lot of things that they say in Israel to sell you things. And you can look at them and I don't know so much about that. But they say that this is the general area where the disciples would re- retreat to. And as they were walking away saying this, 
he tells Peter that he's a little rock, and then there's a giant stone behind him that is as big as the, the block that our church is on. A really, really neat place that you could go to, but I didn't take any good pictures of it, so I'm sorry. don't have it for you. But you're the little rock, Peter, and upon this bedrock of the gospel that you just said, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so Jesus, being the Christ... The son of the living God is a statement that Satan and all of hell put together will not overpower. And next week, I hope that you come. I have a few stories for you from our mission trip about the gospel going out and absolutely changing people's lives. Um, I asked, not going to tell you what happened, but I asked the kids at the end of the week what, what God had done in their lives. Not just our kids, but all the kids. And what this girl said put the whole room in tears for what the gospel had done in her life. And that is something that Satan and all of Hades cannot overpower. That Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And in the gospel is all the power of God to transform people and lives. And there's nothing that hell can do about it. And so then he says, I'll give you the keys of heaven, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples they should not tell anyone that he was the Christ. Reason being is he is not yet ready for the whole world to know. He wants his disciples to know so that the rest of everything that takes place makes sense. Because if you remember, he doesn't want a whole lot of publicity at this point because the people are spiritually blind and they want to make him the political ruler right now. And he says, no, that's not what I'm about. My time is going to come a little later. And you'll see this now in verse 21. He says, from that time, and so this is a transitional point in the book of Matthew, from that time, and the time is, from the time that the disciples realized that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, he, Jesus, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And so the disciples realize who Jesus is. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for all this time. And then he goes on to tell them that he's got to go to Jerusalem. He's got to suffer. Many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and he's going to be killed. And then he's going to raise up on the third day. Remember Jonah's in the belly of the whale for three days? This is the sign of Jonah that he's talking about. And so as he... They figure out who he is. Then he takes a minute to tell them, listen, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer and I've got to die and I'm going to raise from the dead. And then Peter, in classic Peter fashion, took Jesus aside, took the creator of the universe aside, took the omniscient, omnipotent, the holy one aside, and he rebukes him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You ever done that with God? God ever been working in your heart and you pull God aside and say, God, that no way, no how, never going to do it. You want me to be a crew leader? You want me to be a crew leader? Never going to happen. Why do you keep bothering me about it, God? I told you it's never going to happen. Now, Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Now think about this for a minute. Think about the problem for Peter and the disciples if Jesus goes to Jerusalem, suffers, and dies. They've been with Jesus approximately two and a half years at this point. He has given them bread. 
He's given them wine at weddings. He's given them money to pay their taxes. He's given them places to stay. Jesus has given them spiritual food, physical food, places to stay. He has given them everything. And they walked away from everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus tells them that he's going to die. And they go, Lord, may it never be. This can never happen. And so think about... In Peter's mind, the convenience that this would have cost Peter and the rest of the disciples. And think about us for a minute. How often Jesus tells us things that may be an inconvenience to us, but we don't want to do them because we don't have our mind set on, what does it say here? To set on God's interest, but we have our mind set on man's interest. And so then, with all of that, he goes into verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples... If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds." Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And so Jesus says, may it never be, Lord. May you never go and suffer and die at the hands of the scribes and Pharisees. We're not going to let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And He goes on to say, whoever, any of you who wishes to follow me must pick up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. And so this passage would not have needed any explanation in Jesus' day. Now when someone goes to get executed, we send them to the electric chair. We send them to lethal injection, some possible firing squads, things like that. In Jesus' day, if you lived in a Roman colony, a place that was under the control of Rome, if they wanted to kill you, they put you on a cross and nothing messed up. When you went to the cross, you died. We have people who survive the electric chair somehow. Don't know how it happens. But when they put you on the cross, you knew what was going to happen. They were going to take your dead body off of there a couple days later. And short of you dying, you weren't getting off of that cross. And so the cross was a cruel punishment of certain death. And he says, if any of you wishes to follow me, you have to pick up certain death and follow me. You cannot be clinging on to man's interest instead of God's. If you want to follow me, you have got to be all in. And so often, we don't give this passage any time, but we say, oh, you just have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it demands that he put, that you put your life on the line following Christ. It means that you have to be about God's will and following Him wherever He takes you and you've got to be willing to go there. And so that means that even though you're in retirement, if God calls you somewhere, you are on the hook to go. If God says, I want you to leave your comfortable place in Windsor and I want you to go and move to Spain with J.J. and Susan Foster and keep them company while they serve our King, that means you do it. If he says, I want you to move to Mali, Africa, to be with, her name just left me, Natalie. 
if he wants you to go to Natalie and work with those Muslim boys, that means you do it. There is no space in a Christian's life for disobedience to the king. Because if you're worthy of following Jesus Christ, you have picked up certain death. You've denied yourself and you're following Christ. And so for the believer in Christ, there is no room for a no when Christ asks us to do something. Part of the problem with the Christian walk for a lot of people is that the Christian walk can seem somewhat burdensome. Seems like there's a list of do's and don'ts. Seems like we always get caught up. We get to a certain point and we we can't do what we want to do because we're a Christian sometimes. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you pick up your cross, if you deny yourself, and if you follow Christ, it is the most freeing thing that you could ever do. You see, when they put you on a cross, they put your hands out and they put a nail through each of your hands and they put one through your feet and you're stuck onto the cross and you die. When you come to Christ, the symbol that you came to Christ is a baptism. You've been buried, you've been dead, the old you died and the new you's being raised to life. Symbolic of your sins being washed away. All of this symbology going on in baptism. The problem with a lot of people who call themselves Christians is that they have only partially died to themselves. And so what that means is that you have one nail in one hand, one nail in your feet, and you've got one hand free to do whatever you want. And when you're living your life that way, the cross is burdensome to you because you're still on it. But for those people who will nail themselves to the cross and crucify themselves, those people experience a life of freedom that you cannot explain. But it's only when you fully surrender to Christ do you experience the freedom that he brings and you get away from the burdens sometimes of being being a follower of Christ. You following me? And so he says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so this is very simple. If you wish to save your life, if you want to keep one hand nailed to the cross, your feet nailed to the cross, and you want to do whatever you want to do, trying to save your life, trying to make something of your life, he says, you will lose your life. But whoever loses his life, whoever surrenders and crucifies self, that person will find his life. And I guarantee you that the life that you find in Christ is far better than anything you're trying to salvage with your one hand free, trying to cling to any trinkets that you may have. Because you go back farther in Matthew that we already talked about. And Jesus tells you that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was in search of fine pearls. And upon finding that pearl of great value, he went and he sold everything that he could have so that he could get that one pearl. And Jesus is telling you now that in order to find life and to find it abundantly, it takes you dying. And there may be some of you here that need to spiritually die now. You need to spiritually die today so that you can learn to live for Christ's sake. For the Son of Man, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in His glory, and His Father with His angels, and will then repay every man according to His deeds. And so He's he's bringing up some of these parables that He's talked about before. You have the wheat and the tares, and you have at the end of the age, Jesus is going to come with His angels, and they're going to separate the wheat from the tares. And wheat and tares look very similar, but He's going to separate them. 
And when he does that, he's going to repay every man according to his deeds. And those people who have not crucified the flesh, who have not died to themselves and followed Christ, they will be repaid very bad things. Because at the end, when everyone is divided, there is heaven on one side and there is hell on the other side. And there is no intermediate place for people to go. And people who are in the kingdom of God live their lives dead to their self and alive to Christ. And they do it joyfully. And then you go on and he says, truly, verse 28, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so he looks around and he says, well, there's some of you who may not die before you get to see God and his kingdom coming back. And I think that he's talking to the Apostle John, who all of his brothers and sisters in the faith have died. And John's on the island of Patmos, and he sees the Lord coming in the book of Revelation and writes the book of Revelation. That's my take on this last verse. But what I want you to know, brothers and sisters, is that the only life worth living for Christ is 100% sold out to Christ. Not living for ourselves, but living for Him and Him alone and His glory. And you say, well, if I did that, I'd have to give up this, this, and this. Brothers and sisters, you gain so much more when you let go of what you value and you cling to Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you need to lay anything down or you need to fully surrender to Christ, let today be the day that you do it. We're going to close with Jesus Loves Me. We've been singing uh, kid songs all day. We're going to finish with that one. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if you need to do any business with God, I would encourage you to not leave here without surrendering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ does not mix words. He tells us that if anyone would come after him, they have to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow after him. And Lord, I pray that you would make sin sickening to us in our stomachs. And I pray that we would never long for the mud pies the world has to offer, but that we would long for the greatness of you. Lord, help us not to be content with trivial things. Lord, but help us to have our eyes set on you and only be satisfied in you. Father, I pray that you would continue to grow us in unity. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, that today would be the day that they would do it. That they would believe in your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. And Father, I pray that if there be somebody here who's been walking with you for 20, 30, 40, 50 80-some years, and they've never fully surrendered to you, I pray that your Spirit would convict them to do so. And Father, we ask all these things in the name that's above every other name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good and always a pleasure worshiping with you again. I look forward to uh, seeing most of you guys back for Vacation Bible School tonight. I hope you're able to get a nap in, like I'm hoping to get before we get started. It doesn't look likely, but that's what we're shooting for. Don't forget that we are in need of more people to lead the kids from group to group. And when we say leader, I hope that that doesn't uh, scare you or put you off. But we need people who are simply be line leaders 
and take the kids from each class. These uh, leaders are not uh, teaching. They're not doing things. They're just staying with the kids as you take them from station to station. And other people do uh, the teaching and the crafts and things like that. And so if you were in the kindergarten or first grade and you could be a line leader then, you're probably an even better one by this point. And so you're definitely a lot more taller and intimidating to the kids, and that'll be a good thing. And so keep that in mind. Is there anything else that I was forgetting? That's the main part I was supposed to say. Even if you can't commit all week, if you can commit a few days, just let Jesse know and she'll be able to coordinate and make sure we've got these kids taken care of. Don't let these kids be like a sheep without a shepherd, all right? Yep. Last announcement. Don't forget we have classes for 6th grade through 12th grade also. Uh, they're going to be with me each day, and we're going to have an absolute blast. And so if you have 6th through 12th graders, uh, they call it Vacation Bible School, but it's, it's, it's better than that for the older ones. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll wrap things up. Brother Jack Williford, would you close us in prayer? Well, Father, we're so thankful today that you come here. And listen to God, we pray that we turn on our mind and our hearts and we prepare our shed for throughout the week. And let this make this a wonderful vacation Bible school this week and just bring in children to be with the Lord. God is the rest of the Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.